Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. Today we have part two of our new series, The Shadow Series. It's a great discussion. We can't wait for you to hear it. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. El Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I'm Dr. Lahab El Samurai. As with always, with me today are the Wrecking Crew. Dr. Eric Tomlinson is with us today. Dr. Lisa Hong is with us today. And as always, we will bring you live all the adventures of the Three Amigos. Okay, now... Let's get into the story. Do you? Uh, Where did we Lisa? leave off last week? Yeah, uh, we were. We uh, are talking um, from chapter five uh, of Murray Stein's Young's uh, Map of the Soul. Yeah, yeah. And we, we would love for you to follow with us. And this chapter is titled "The Revealed and the Concealed in Relations with Others." Persona and shadow. So and today we're going to discuss another part of this idea of what Jung postulated um, about how the psyche is created and how the self, that the ego is a tiny projection of self. And that within self, they are a variety of creation states. We move through different ways of relation in the world and that it's varied, which means it's more expansive, which means the answer is not always right and left, right and wrong. This is where the evolution of the shadow and the persona occur. This is how the triangle is built. Because the ego has to function on some aspects of right and wrong, left and right. What do you think, Dr. Eric? Well, it makes me wonder. I don't mean to get too Jungian or even Freudian Freudian here. We're definitely Jungian in here. But but regarding the ego movements, how much of that relates to the conscience, the superego? How much of that is moving or guiding or steering the ego toward a certain understanding of things and that's what i'd like to ask to you because you understand these processes uh, a little better than i do and i'd love to ask you that question well the topography of freud's psyche would be that the ego sits on top of the iceberg that points outside the water. Mm. 
So the ego would be there, the id would be deep downside in the unconscious. So what that, about but, the super ego? Well, that would be part of the ego function. The so in Freud's in Freud's theory is that the super ego is an outgrowth of the ego. It's its own complex. Mm. Because we're going to confuse people because we're talking Jungian. But okay, let's talk some Freudian. So in Freudian terms, super ego is its own complex. The ego is its own complex and the id is its own complex. It, ego is mediator between the triangle goes. It's mediator between the superego and the id. That's how I understand it. Okay. In Jungian theory, the way they propose it is it's the ego, the shadow, or what we're calling the unknown other, and the persona. That's the triangle. Uh. So we could postulate that Freud would say that the persona exists within the superego because that's your mask. And the superego is rigid depending on what happened to you. So if they function normally, you should function normally. You with me? So if you haven't been traumatized, I, really, I that's the first time I've ever heard that said, and I really appreciate that. It's based on what has happened to you. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for saying that. So, what we're talking about is the rise of the glitch, right? And we talk about the glitch and jamp and the resolution of the glitch. But what we're talking about is the one. Isn't the there a book arises. about that? Yeah. Yes. We wrote a book about that. Okay. Um, it's this one. Jamp and the resolution of the glitch. Mm. Anyway, the 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 Thank story you. the story is is that when the glitch occurs, what happens is is that a new triangle is formed. So let's say there was a triangle that was, when there is a glitch, when there's trauma, a new triangle is born because the complex has taken in the glitch. So it's going to have contained more energy than the other parts of the psychological alignment or what Jung talked about as um, orbits, the orbits change. Trauma changes the orbits of the complex. The complex becomes more active and it, it charges, it surcharges its energy. It's like if somebody said mother and I lost my mother at a really young age and I was like, in love with everything that she was, and I miss her dearly. And somebody says, mother, that is activation for me. That is going to activate me. It supercharges me. My mother complex is like supercharged because the trauma was so big. So you're supercharged by it. And it takes over. It makes you feel like that child that just lost their mother. 
you start to become angry. You start to become defensive. You start to become argumentative. You start to feel those emotions of loss that you haven't felt since that day. You start feeling that heat rising in your chest. From that's the trigger and that that's the complex. And that's why Young talks about or Stein talks also about um, the nuclear core of the complex. It just starts a self-perpetuating energy. It starts drawing on itself. And the more energy it draws, the less the other complexes have. That means they can't act. They're frozen actors. So this complex acts it out. Now, okay, because we're talking about shadow development. What happens if that traumatic incident was at the hands of that child and he hears the term mother and that excites his need for rage, for aggression, for control, for reprisal? So then that child grows up with that. That man is dangerous. I'd like to ask you a question, Dr. Lobb. Yes. In my, I don't know, Ooh. 40 years of studying sociopaths, why is it that most sociopaths, especially extreme sociopaths, and even to the point if you go all the way to the end of the spectrum and include psychopaths, why is it that the majority of them, and this isn't even close, always blame in their own psychology the mother and not the father? Well, it's because the, the, the feeling of love and empathy that they experience firsthand is on the hands of the mother. The mother is the first face they see. She's the first body that warms that infant. It is the mother's extension of food. They are an extension of the mother. So if you have gestated a, a monster It's because of the connection between you and that child. The child is what we create in the relationship. If the relationship works, the child is healthy, bound, loved, and loving, and connected. If the relationship is dysfunctional, the child is dysfunctional. Good relationships, bad relationships can't keep their end of having a good relationship, not knowing how to create a good relationship. Always ending up alone. Disorganized, disoriented. It depends on the style of the parents who are in that household. Strict, abusive, demeaning, sarcastic. 
that child will grow up with those feeling states and responding to those feeling states and thus echoing those feeling states. Because what the parents do is imprint on the child. So if I'm understanding this correctly, Dr. Lahab, um, obviously when the mother is a, and we see this over and over again with sociopaths and psychopaths, that when the mother is one of the primary givers of abuse to this child, we see what happens. But also, if I'm not mistaken, also the mother can be a passive participant in this evolvement of the child, where the father does the majority of the abuse, but the mother is a passive individual that doesn't counteract that abuse. And so the automatic response to the child is to blame the mother for the lack of nurturing no, and the lack of protection. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we're not blaming the mother for her connection to the child what we're absolutely saying, not what what we're saying or it's a distortion of the child we're ma we're magnifying the connection yes and magnifying a pathological connection between the mother and the child we're not talking about the normal magnified projection between the mother and the child there are many things that could go wrong between the mother and child and we don't have a sociopathic um child well said. That's Thank not you. that's not how it works. Right. There there are there are there are also other elements to this, right? There there are elements that this is intergenerational. That mother, that grandmother, that great grandmother was abused. That the abuse that they suffered were was sadistic. Yes. And it was passed down unconsciously or consciously to their siblings throughout the line. And somebody has to break the line, right? Yes. Somebody that that's how intergenerational trauma stops. Somebody has to break the line. Says, "Not me. I need to. I need to go to treatment. I need to work on myself. I need to get out of this feeling state that I'm always in." But unfortunately, with when you've suffered that much abuse, it's not the blame of the mother. But it's not the blame of the child, but this is intergenerational trauma. So the trauma is much greater that is created by the mother towards the child. And it just takes a couple of generations before that goes bad. And then you have what becomes a really menace in a lot of ways to society. The kid in uh, at the University of Idaho who's who's studying criminology and killed three of his classmates. Basically, if they weren't his classmates, they were his college mates. These, these killings were... So that sociopathy, psychopath, psychopath... Um, apathy if you will that has to be traced right 
that has to be traced as to where it started, where it began, and and there is something in its past. This is not, this is didn't spring like a chicken came out of nowhere. That's right. It this does is not. Somebody rolled an egg and the egg hatched, and then we had a chickling out of nowhere. No, there there is a there is a origin. There is a story. There is origin story to everything. Everything has a timeline, an emotional, a psychological, a physical, a geographic timeline that we all go through. What do you think, Dr. Lisa? You know, talking about, you know, when I try to identify why does the blame, the arrow get, you know, finger get pointed to the mom a lot, but that's, but yeah. that is, like you said, that is the origin point of how we interact with the world. Yeah. And this is the origin of how it is we are vulnerable and we are needing, we know we are vulnerable. And that feeling of safety and being provided for and being fed and sheltered when there, when there is, um, that is, that is the most likely place for the first feeling of betrayal abandonment um unreasonable punishment um that and that that translation you know the reason why it came down or whatever the mother's feelings are that's that's her glitch carried on through generations and so it's but how it how the infant child interacts with that is uh partially their glitch too that they take on and change and hold as their own and so it's easy to go to the mother first the father is not as present mm. in in the rearing of a child for the first several months who who has the teeth who is the warmth heartbeat that is familiar that they know from the womb so it, i think yeah, it's the heartbeat um, right yeah it's the, it's the heartbeat that calms us. It's the heartbeat that gives us that sense of being in the world. And if that mother was traumatized by a sadistic family or she found her way towards a, a sadistic relationship because of what she grew up with, because of what she knew, because of what she didn't knew, because she did because she was abused, because for so many other reasons, right? Because she was a victim, because she got re-victimized, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we end up in places we don't need to be. But the origin of pain and trauma doesn't go away. It is passed down. And if you don't have children, it's passed down to your stepchildren or your, if you don't, they'll be passed down to your best friend's children that you see all the time. It'll be passed down because somewhere inside of you, there's something that is sending out a bad message. Or a good message in defense. I mean, there, there's lots of things. Tell us more. Uh, you know, those. You know, when, uh, as someone, I don't have any kids, and but I have lots of friends with kids, and you'll find yourself saying things, and you're like, hmm, you know, that's not for me. That's that's on me. That's my stuff. Why do I need to say that? 
you know? <laughs> and those are my fears. Those are my insecurities. And I'm trying to help them and defend them. And it's not necessarily needs to be shared or said because it's not anything that has to do with what they're dealing with. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad I'm 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 glad I asked you the question, um, Dr. Law, because I knew that you would explain it. <laughs> in a way that encapsulates a broader perspective than what I was aiming toward. On the other hand, um, this idea is worldwide. And why do we have, why does the United States of America ha have a why do we have a monopoly on serial killers? They exist everywhere in the world, but we have a monopoly on them. Why is that? Because you know, we are a culture breed more. We are an individualistic nation. And 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 you see so far fewer serial killers in in the Asian countries. And and even when I was, I'm I'm older than most people, so I remember growing up in the '60s and late '50s, and there 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 just wasn't a lot of this going on. But individualism, an individualistic culture, spawns this in a way that. Communal cultures don't. Uh, when I was a kid, people who had the attributes toward this kinds of things, these kinds of things, they they didn't have a they didn't have an access to the community and to the world at large the way that they do now. They were kept at home. <laughs> I mean, they they were the weird kid that was kept at home that everybody in the community knew about, but nobody talked about. And and now we live in a society where everyone is free, quote unquote, and has access to huge amounts of people. And. And it's just amazing to me that this kind of thing is rampant in our modern day society in the United States. And it has been for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, and the what we've been talking about is what happens all over the world because about 25 to 30% of children all over the world are abused. So, so Dr. Eric, let me, let me, let me, let me kind of try to uh, interject, but bring, bring us back to what we're trying to kind of uh, create the image or the story of, um, thank you for talking about how, we have an inordinate amount of sociopaths and no problem. We do have different theories about why we have so many 
sociopaths. And one of them is because we are, well, you know, there are several different things. One is geography. Um, your ability to hide your sociopathy is uh, magnified, be uh, is quadrupled because we have such great geography that people can hide in different places. We, which would, you know, we're individualistic culture that also breeds a way of people not asking about why people are behaving in certain ways or doing certain things. I think we're becoming more conscious of these aspects of our culture. Let's get back to our original. My story. apologies for going off on a Un day. unnecessary. We're going to go back to our, like we started because I, I think I took us off track. So let's, um, let's go back to the development process. So what we're talking about is development. We're talking about how the psyche is affected in development, how the ego is affected, how the shadow and the persona are affected. How do these psychological complexes, according to Jung, start to, how does the triangle move? How does it spin? Is it connected? Is it disconnected? So the more we suffer trauma, the more this triangle is disconnected. What that means is, is that the, the aspects of it are disassociated. So if there's something I don't like, I don't think about because it goes into another complex. And this, this becomes dangerous because what, what is going on is a development of disassociation and the way I move in the world is of disassociation. No. I, Dr. Lahab, may I give a biological perspective to sociopathy? Well, hold hold on, hold on okay. to that thought. Let's let's do that. Let's do that next week. I no would problem. Like to, because we're expanding on the idea. I'll put it on hold, sir. Today, 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 we're talking more about development. So okay. I think we should stick around that idea of what is development. How does it work? How does the ego develop? The ego needs stability. It needs stability at home. The household needs to be stable. It needs um, some rules and regulations of how to function. When to go to bed, when to wake up, when the ego needs structure. The ego needs to fed as a diet of positive reinforcement and structure. The ego needs places where it could expand its thinking about the world. So it's also reading or thinking or seeing perspectives from other people's perspective. And that helps expand its consciousness. It also helps stabilize the ego that it doesn't have a um, jagged view of the world or a very like jagged edge view of the world. Where it only sees a sliver, it does not see the way the world is built. Dr. Lahab. Yes, sir. 
may I give a biological perspective to support what you just said? Uh, sure, go for it. Um, most studies in neuropsychology show that from about the age of six to about the age of 14, as you expose your children to multiple dimensions of thought, of reasoning, of understanding, that those individuals become a multi-dimensional person as they grow into an adult. So anyone who's a parent should understand that from especially about the age of six, when, and, and that's the and the reason for that is because that's when the the human brain starts developing abstract thinking all the way to about the age of 16, those are the primary years of neuronal development depending on the learning that that individual is taking in. So the more they're exposed to broad spread learning as opposed to just staying stuck in a house and not exposed to anything, it can create a dramatic increase in brain mass growth up to 20%. So this is why it's so important to educate children from the age of 16 to about six, six to about 16 on a variety of concepts and a variety of information. And mm -hmm. as you do that, it expands the brain and the ability to think of the children that have been exposed to that. This has been this has been vericated through numerous studies. So the um thank you for that. There's a yeah. there's a recent release data um based on a study that's been going on, a longitudinal study that's been going on for over um, 60 years uh, in Britain during the war, they started tracking children that they had um, uh, rehoused with different families. They started tracking those families and those children from the day they were rehoused to the day they were reunified after the war and over the generations and what happened to them. And what is a clear stat, and um, this is an amazing study because the amount of data that they gathered over years, and it's a huge population of children that we're talking about. So the data shows one consistent theme. Can you guess what it is? What is the number one thing that is detrimental and that you can't catch up in any way to the rest of society. And that thing is poverty. Any kid who's born into poverty ends up achieving, learning, um, participating, economically devastated more in the society than any other child. They are actually 
they are behind in school by the by first grade. And this right. means that between kindergarten and first grade, they are behind by two years. Yeah. And that is with their parents reading to them, with their parents tucking them in at night, with their parents providing them food and shelter. With that, they are still behind. I'm surprised. So I was wondering about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Ooh. the requirement of food and shelter. That was my first yeah. guess of. Yeah. So even given that consistent provision, it's actually yeah. the quality of the food and shelter. That quality really... of food of shelter and quality of what Dr. Eric was talking about, which is this ability Enriched. to connect to a wider environment that expands the way we see the world and how we see ourselves in the world. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Having an enriched and diverse exposure of structures and reward systems, maybe even to uh well yeah, different ways different ways of being dr lisa i i think is what what your experience of a different culture gives you insight that's beyond the culture that you're in it's mm -hmm. it's almost like it's expanding the wave of consciousness in front of you it's like wow there's these things that you could do wow there are these things that you could taste wow there are mm -hmm. these dances you could you know, so each there are these words that you could use that we don't mm -hmm. have these words. So it it enriches um, it enriches the connections in the brain. Mm -hmm. You know, because this reinforces the uh, the ideas that we are not alone. Right, because this is this is the idea that holds us back. This is fear, right? There's underlying fear that am I going to be okay? Is mom going to be okay? Is dad going to be okay? Do we have enough? Because poor families talk about not having enough. I and mean, this is a huge issue, right? You're always lacking. You're always needing. This, this is imprinted on you. These are your gods. These are your creators. And that was one of the things that we started with, right? Interestingly enough, um, Dr. Lahab and Dr. Lisa, um, if you look at the developmental brain mass of children over a 10-year period in Yugoslavia when it broke up and turned into four different nations, over those 10 years, if you take the tens of thousands of children that were put into literally put into places where they would only have one couple that took care of a hundred different kids that were abandoned or, or orphaned. And you compare their brain mass with those of Dr. Lahab, you and I know this, uh, since we lived in Chicago for 20 years, if you go to the upper suburbs of Chicago, um, which 
are the richest in at that point in time were the richest in the country and you compared the brain mass between those kids in Yugoslavia and those kids in North Chicago suburbs, there was actually a 20% difference in brain mass. Yeah, it's substantial because of the uh, because of the deprivation, right? Because the yes, psychological because, yes, deprivation. Yes, because of be, be, because of the in because of the you're also talking about you're, you're also talking about educational systems you're talking about you're talking about food you're talking about water everything you're talking you're, ta well, you're talking about physical and mental health yes you're talking you're talking, you're talking about the and brain stimulation the, the ability to play the ability to join teams the ability to take music lessons you're talking yes. about you're talking about children who've been thrown away to be cared for by two individuals and that they can't feed so with that gloomy note thank you dr well, with that gloomy note we move in our podcast to next week where this gloomy note will be reprised and we will transform it into hopefully not a scary note, but a more likable note. So with yeah. that. Well, Dr. Lahab, can I say one thing? Uh, I was going to sign off, but go ahead. It doesn't have to be a gloomy note. It can be a positive note for every parent who has children to know that they need to expose them to an enhanced learning environment with love and support and education and good food, et cetera, et cetera. And they can enhance and increase the dynamics of the brain development of their own children. That's a very positive thing. With that positive note, we at the IFC bid you farewell. And as always, we sign off with I Am Not Afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. We are not afraid. And we are the IFC's Individuation Podcast. And we will see you, talk to you, and think about you. Until next week. Thank you for tuning in to part two of the Shadow Series. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. El Samurai. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the JAMP Institute for Training's Magicians Call podcast as well. The IFC is a not-for-profit institution. We do not have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax deductible. You can find more info at theinstituteforconflict.com.